Hey there, Bellator Society. Quick heads up. This podcast covers some sensitive subject matter pertaining to a woman's fertility. So if you have little ears around or big ears for whom this topic might not be of particular interest or appropriate, pause us here to listen later or put in some earbuds for more discreet listening. Enjoy the podcast. This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Good morning, Bellator Society. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Tracy Eddy, and Fran is in Nashville. I'm in Arizona. We're back from our summer holidays, and it's good to be sitting at my chair, Fran, talking to you. And I bet it's good to be sleeping in your own bed, too. Oh, my gosh. You have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. In fact, I haven't gotten up to even exercise because I'm like, I just don't want to get out of the bed <laughs> at all. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm super excited that we are back to business in terms of uh, getting some quality podcasting up. Yes. Yes, me too. The whole um, podcasting from hotels is easier said than done. Mm -hmm. It presents challenges. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so yes, I'm, I'm, we're back in the groove. We're back in our home offices and we have a guest today, Forrest yeah. Barnett, who has been on our show before. And she is, she also does a little work with us on our social media. She's our kind of social media guru, but she's also a natural family planning guru. And she's joining us to talk about that today. So, Hey, Forrest, welcome. Hi, it's great to be back. Yeah. Hello. Welcome back. We're so glad you're here. We're so <laughs> glad you're with us in general, but here specifically on this podcast. Um, yes. I do want to say one thing, um, because Tracy did mention that you um, may be an NFP or natural family planning guru. Let's make a distinction for the nature of this mm -hmm. podcast um, between uh, fertility awareness and natural family planning, because I think that that's really important depending on who we're talking to. Yeah, the definitions between the two, like the distinctions, um, if you are in the kind of realm of fertility science professionally, they can get pretty sticky. But for this conversation, we can just say that fertility awareness is the science of determining, um, you know, fertile windows in your cycle and looking at health signs from your cycle. Mm -hmm. But NFP is when you apply um, that information in a virtuous way to plan a family. Now, again, there's more to it than that, but for the sake of this conversation, we'll just stick with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> because, because I would say this from a Catholic perspective, anybody, any woman, not actually anybody, any woman can practice fertility awareness. Mm -hmm. Men don't really have to practice it because once they've gone through, <laughs> through puberty, they're basically consistently fertile. Um, right. But women, we have cycles of fertility. And so as soon as we do, we have entered into that stage of maturity, um, we can become aware of our fertility. So that that's one thing. But natural family planning, just as you kind of alluded to, pertains to couples, really, mm -hmm. because it's about family planning. And in the Catholic Church, you know, when a husband and a wife get married, they create a family by virtue of, of the 
sacrament of marriage and then have the option to cooperate with God using certain methods in order to plan their family. And so that I would say that that's a really good um, distinction just to make on the front end, because we may say the words NFP or fertility Mm -hmm. awareness and maybe we're just talking about the same things in terms of the observations that we're making the the context that we're that we're in um but you know it's the difference between boys and girls and specifically how girls bodies work (laughs) yeah well and while we're on that perhaps for people who are listening who maybe aren't familiar let's just quickly go over the biomarkers that we would use in fertility awareness yes please Um, so there's three three primary biomarkers and these are just signs your body gives Um, And there are things about your body that changes throughout the course of your cycle. Um, Usually they repeat, although not always, especially for women with irregular cycles. Um, And these help us determine where the fertile and infertile are in a woman's cycle. The majority of a woman's cycle, she is actually infertile. It's actually hard to get pregnant. I know that's something that a lot of people can't believe, but it is incredible (laughs) to get pregnant because of all the things that have to align. Um, so the first biomarker um, that I'll name is uh, basal body temperature and basically like when you wake up in the morning after rest your body has a certain temperature and if you monitor that over the course of your cycle you can determine things like ovulation Um, the next one is uh, this one's pleasant Um, vaginal (laughs) discharge Uh, so for the ladies Uh, You might notice that when you're not on your period, there's still stuff um, that you might find when you wipe and in your underwear, and that's completely normal and healthy. I did not know this. Uh, Growing (laughs) up, I was never told that, Um, and uh, this discharge is super, super healthy. In fact, if you don't have it, there's a problem, Mm -hmm. Um, and you can, based on kind of what it looks like and and the texture and stuff, you can actually determine a lot about your health, Um, and then the last marker is kind of what people consider an optional marker. The um, size and texture of your cervix actually changes throughout your cycle based on whether you're fertile. Um, And if you're willing to check it, which is honestly not as bad as it sounds, then you can determine a lot about fertility as well. So these three things together tell us a lot about a woman's overall health and her fertility. Yes. Okay. I love all of that. And that was very succinct and clear. I do want to say one thing about the second biomarker that you mentioned, which is the cervical vaginal mucus patterns. Um, The fact that you said, you know, no one told you about that growing up is I think super common. And um, we have a friend who is also a natural. Oh, I should say this for anyone who hasn't listened to our podcast before in in which I've mentioned it. I am a natural family planning teacher with my husband. We're a teaching couple. Um, But we have some friends who are also teachers. And she tells the story of uh, teaching a class and having a woman in her class who repeatedly throughout her like adolescence, early adulthood would go to the doctor for what she thought was a yeast infection, had had repeated treatments for this yeast infection that just wasn't going away because she was having she was observing, you know, cervical vaginal mucus patterns and for some reason it's bonkers to me for some reason her OBGYN or maybe she was going to someone who wasn't specializing in you know gynecology and obstetrics maybe she was just going to a a GP who wasn't on board with women's fertility signs I guess just kept giving her antifungals or you know medication to treat a yeast infection that never existed yeah Bonkers. Imagine, imagine what that could have been doing to her body. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, we're all about, you know, organic foods and making <laughs> sure they're not GMO and all of these things. And yet we don't think twice about pumping hormones into our bodies when it comes to, all you know, artificial contraceptives. But then 
putting medicines into our bodies that we don't need because we haven't actually observed what the real cause of this symptom is. For sure. And there, there are so many things about um, women's cycles. And I speak um, as somebody who I'm not an, I'm not an NFP teacher when um, I, I was in the field Technically, I was going to say, don't sell yourself short. (laughs) Um, I I did marketing for the Couple to Cup League for a while, um, and it was great. And I learned a ton, but I did I never taught couples. What I what I did teach was um, I would help young women who were not married um, at conferences and at things like that. We would um, have booths and talk about fertility awareness because Mm -hmm. I charted for five years before I got married, way before I met my husband. And what I find when I speak to these women is that a lot of them have no idea what is considered normal versus healthy in a cycle. Um, I mean, if you live in a leper colony, leprosy is normal. That doesn't Mm -hmm. make it healthy or good. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see when we look at these women's cycles is a lot of them have crippling um, cramp and and heavy, heavy bleeding and irregular mucus patterns that could maybe cause someone to think it was a yeast infection Mm -hmm. because she can't identify a pattern in it even if she's not trying, I mean, right. all these things lead people to believe something is wrong with them. And so they go to the doctor and very often the doctor says, well, the best way to regulate a period mm-hmm. is just birth control, mm-hmm. which is understandable because technically it looks regular, right? Um, right? You're on hormones for X number of days and then you have a placebo period where you have a quote unquote period, mm-hmm. but it's not a- actually a period. In fact, it's withdrawal bleeding Mm -hmm. from the hormone levels in your body being so high and dropping abruptly. And your body's reaction to that is to flip out. Um, But it looks normal. So people think Mm -hmm. it's health. Yeah. Can you back up just a minute? You said you charted for five years before you um, got married. Can you just give a little explanation on what charting is for those who are listening and maybe um, this is a foreign language to them? For sure. Good call. Um, So usually like not according to my experience, but like if someone says charting, what they mean is that um, on the first day of their cycle, which is the first day of a period, um, they might monitor how the flow is and cramping and things like that. And then as the cycle progresses, they'll do things like take their temperature or pay attention to the kind of discharge that they're seeing or check their cervix and keep track of all of this. There's apps for it. You can also do it with good old paper and pen. Um, And then that information, which the practice of keeping it is called charting, Um, That information can be used to tell you um, when you're married, it's important whether or not you're fertile. But before then, it can tell you all kinds of things. I could tell when I was getting sick based on the changes in my cervix. Um, So there's a lot that you learn from that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. I like that you mentioned contraceptive or contraceptives, artificial birth control, the things that that women are told we need in order to maintain health. you know, especially if there's something wrong like PCOS or endometriosis or all of the things that are just, you know, band-aided basically with the birth control pill. Um, this week, uh, we published an article. Uh, I always feel like super self-important when I say written by me. But, <laughs> I was um, Karen, it was really good. It was I a mic drop it. moment. It was a um, great article. I, I don't know about that because the data analytics don't <laughs> reflect that people read it. <laughs> you know what? Because it's hard. It's a hard it read. Hard. It's an it uncomfortable read, but, yeah. but it's such an important read and it's, it was a good read. Well, read it, br- people, if you haven't read it, <laughs> I only bring it up um, because I think that it flows very well into our conversation about what we are told as women we need, and how this this thing, this drug, this the you know these 
hormones that we're pumping into our bodies are somehow going to make us free and flourish. And this is what women have been told for decades, that, yeah. that we need contraceptives, that we don't have any other choices if we want to be successful in the workplace or we want to um, manage the size of our family effectively. Like, right. no, it's, it's, so, it's such a foreign concept or has been for a long time that perhaps we could do this more naturally. I think maybe the tide is turning do you, do you feel that? Yes. I, there's, there's, people are starting to see the inconsistency with being green and all natural in every other part of their life. And then taking this pill that mm -hmm. completely changes the hormonal balance of their body. And we're seeing more and more women um, expressing dissatisfaction with it. We're seeing secular, because I think a lot of times fertility awareness is associated with the church, mm -hmm. um, which I understand why, but it's also silly because it's for mm -hmm. anyone with a uterus. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> Fertility science doesn't care where you go on Sundays if you mm -hmm. go anywhere, right? Um, but we're starting to see a movement in the secular world mm -hmm. where there's increasingly apps like um, Natural Cycles is a secular app that was made. Um, there's actually the U.S. women's soccer team uses an app called Fit Our Women. Well, maybe it's fitter women. doesn't matter. Anyway, it's <laughs> entire purpose um, is you. The, there's a coach app and then there's player apps and they work together. And the player apps track their cycles in the app. And then it, it um, uses an algorithm to spit out for the coach, uh, like um, groupings of like, mm -hmm. these women are in this cycle. So this is how their workout needs to look to benefit. Yes. Wow. Yes. In order for this to work, these women can't be on hormonal birth control. Now, I don't mm -hmm. know if they are or not, but the hormone, the hormones that are artificial in the birth control um, cover the actual levels in your body. So charting is ineffective if you are taking those. So for this to be most effective for the U.S. women's soccer team, and they are world champions, mm -hmm. they must pay attention to their bodies, and mm -hmm. we're seeing it pay off. I want to jump in on that that point because um, I am a, I'm kind of a fan of wellness uh, podcasts and things. Yeah. A lot of it's like total woo-woo stuff, you know, <laughs> but a lot of it that at least I, there's one particular podcast that I really like, and I've mentioned it before, not by name, but just to say like, it's very secular. Like a lot of what's, I don't recommend it by name because a lot of what they talk about, you kind of got to fast forward through to get to the good stuff. But they yeah. had, um, she, she was interviewing a woman who is an OBGYN who was talking about exactly what you're talking about in terms of, um, how to, uh, how to appreciate a woman's fertility and the effect of her, her um, hormonal cycle on her ability to work out things yeah. that she should be eating at different points in her cycle for effective nutrition, um, all of those things. And I mean, again, super secular. It has nothing to do with the Pope told me to do yeah. this. Like it is completely <laughs> based on, on, you know, uh, a, a real serious dealing with women's fertility and th th someone who's listening to this, you can look this up on, you can Google this, but what she said, which I thought was super fascinating is that during um, the early part of a woman's fertility cycle, we call this phase one in, in our methodology of natural family planning or our fertility awareness method. Um, during phase one is the time in which a woman should be like working hard, like your body, you, you can have your, your, best workouts, your best runs, your best times during that first, that, that fa that first phase of your fertility cycle. Also, you can restrict more in terms of nutrition because your body doesn't need excess calories and things like that. So that's, if you're going to go hard, 
phase one is when you yeah. should be doing it. It's after ovulation, so phase two, moving into phase three, that you need to start. Um, that you need to start eating a little bit more, that you need to um, have a little bit more calories in your diet, that you need to uh, maybe not work out as hard in order to achieve um, optimum health. Is that something that you're familiar with? Is that kind of what the women's soccer team is doing? Exactly. And it makes a lot of sense because remember that your body is assuming that it's going to get pregnant each month. Mm -hmm. And then when that doesn't happen, that's when the uterine lining is shed and that's what's known as a period. So Mm -hmm. after ovulation, when the egg is now like ready to go until that period, that, that second part, late phase two and phase three, that's when your body is assuming that it needs to protect this baby. So Mm -hmm. of course your body's going to want more food and less exertion and things like Mm -hmm. that. It's supremely logical and how freeing (laughs) that we can, we can have this experience and, and, maximize the way our bodies work without having to pretend like we're men. Yes. Oh, I think that's so key. Of course, I'm sitting here thinking maybe I would like gentler workouts and plenty of nutrition <laughs> all, my, all weeks during all my time. cycle, but okay. <laughs> well, and I think you probably wouldn't push too hard during the beginning of phase one because that's your period. Um, and you oh. need to make sure during that time your nutrition is good. Um, yeah. and your iron is up. You. Yeah, but late phase one, which is yeah. after the first four or five days, then for sure, yeah, kick that kick that workout into high gear. Yeah. Says the person Noted. who doesn't work out. So. Noted. <laughs> but we know when we should. Okay, that's, right. that's what it's about. When I do. <laughs> it's going to be in phase one. Late phase one. <laughs> Use that as an excuse. Oh, man, I'm in phase three. I can't work out oh, right going to need some more chocolate. It's phase three. <laughs> I need some. My body's preparing for a baby. <laughs> I love that. I do think your point, the point that you made about um, our bodies do not behave like men's is a point that, again, self-referential here that I mentioned in the article that contraception, this this acceptability and this really embrace of the contraceptive mindset is really based on this idea, this super crazy idea, well, a little, right? Uh-huh. That that a woman's body should behave like a man, that, That's you right. know, she should have total autonomy over her body, which actually doesn't exist in biology, because guess what? Even if you are on the most effective form of contraceptive birth control, right. your body can still get pregnant sometimes. It's That's called right. a perfect use efficacy rate. Mm-hmm. And, and it's amazing and, what yes! your body will do when it's stressed. Yes! The way that I got my, my first my first pregnancy was not intentional. I was practicing NFP, but it was not a method problem. It was my problem because I was like, I don't ovulate until day 18. So even though day nine is technically safe, well, it's technically uh, fertile for me. I was like, it's fine. But there was a bunch of stuff that happened in my life at that time. My body ovulated on day nine instead, Mm -hmm. and I got pregnant. So it, it really isn't about our control and nothing is in health, Fran. Yeah. I, I don't control what effect pizza has on me. I just control yeah. whether or not I eat it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so that's so true. I think we have this false notion of control that is very it's very deceptive and it puts us in a sense of false security and 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 then we start talking about rights. Like yeah. like you know, yeah. if I have all of this control, then I should have the right to X, Y, and Z. And you know, I and, and then again that just kind of flows into this whole idea of feminism and um, again this idea that 
in order to be truly uh, to have full female flourishing i somehow need to be more like a man my body shouldn't get pregnant you know my body shouldn't ovulate in in a healthful way the way it was designed you know by our creator you know i should have control over that we call that feminism yeah it is being not feminine because it's dangerous or hard or or not it, not as easy because, you know, culture may have been built around, I would argue probably was built around masculine ideals. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. therefore we should just be like them. That's not feminism. Yeah. No. And can, can we talk a little bit about how the narrative has been pushed that women who have babies um, are, in, will be more, you know, not have the ability to, to um, pull their family out of poverty. You know, you see the different, like the Gates Foundation and different, you know, huge global foundations that are really pushing contraception in places like Africa, because they truly believe mm-hmm. that magically, magically, you know, not having, like you said, taking the femininity out of these mothers in Africa is what will bring them out of poverty and make them, um, happy and successful, you know, um, I've heard, I've heard talks given on this and I just want to pull out my hair. Um, because I'm like, it's just, it's, it's, it's bad science. Now we're introducing so many different types of, you know, illnesses and health related problems that, I mean, Mm. are we going to be, are we going to start, you know, start treating for, strokes? Are we going to start training for, you know, cancers that this causes? I mean, what, what, what is, what do y'all think about that? Give me some, let's talk a little bit about that for us. Let's talk about some of the, the, um, the things that we like to ignore about contraceptives, like the things that, you know, really let's not talk too much about that because it's doing what it wants, you know, what we want it to do. Like meaning that we're not getting pregnant, we're we're being able to be sexually active and not get pregnant. But there are a ton of other side effects and health risks that are associated with artificial birth control. We call it the pill, but I mean, it can be anything from like an injectable, um, it could be, it could be a contraceptive pill, whether it's a mini dose or, you know, what, whatever your, your, dosage is of your of your of choice of yeah <laughs> dosage of choice <laughs> that's right I think I think women are increasingly dissatisfied with um what the pill does as far as side effects but mm-hmm. they feel like they have to have it in order to either be you know, free or in order to you know keep themselves from having incredibly painful cramps which we can talk about um mm-hmm. but the reality is that there are a ton of side effects just a few of things that happen in your body i think jason Everett talks about how there's more than 170 i think is the number mm-hmm. um changes physiologically that happen when you go on the pill um and these include things like dry eyes migraines weight gain moodiness dry skin bloating nausea blood clotting um acne fatigue Vaginal irritation, which this is supposed to allow you to have sex whenever you want. That's not exactly convenient to have vaginal irritation. Um, Depression, vaginal dryness, anxiety, uh, depleted nutrients, and even increased risk of some diseases because most forms of contraception, specifically the pill, um, it's classified as a, um, I believe it's class one carcinogen. It is, yes. Is the same as asbestos and Mm -hmm. tobacco. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not something to take lightly. It's poison. Yeah. It I is. mean, it's kind of like poison. It is. The thing is, though, 
I think a lot of women um, who take it kind of see a necessary evil for their freedom. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone adores the fact that they have to take this pill at the same time every day or have an implant in their arm or get a shot once every mm-hmm. three months. The difference is they just don't know there's another alternative. Yes. I think that's exactly right. But why are we pushing this on, on poor countries? Mm-hmm. Like why, why is America pushing this poison pill on countries that are already facing, you know, extreme poverty. There's a book about this um, by a prolific author whose name I always mispronounce, but Ubu is what (laughs) people call her, um, called Target Africa. And I think part of it is that that Americans have really, truly bought into this idea that the pill equals freedom for women. And if -hmm. we can control, you know, this myth of overpopulation, which is not actually a thing in most places. Um, but if we can control, you know, the population, then it's more likely we can get them out of poverty. I think they actually, I think a lot of Americans actually believe that. And so it's, it's, um, philanthropic to offer this to poor countries who otherwise would have no way to control, you know, family size and things like that, but kind of the more nefarious side of um, me. And while we're talking, you know, on a national level about black lives matter and racism, I think there is a racist undertone here that says, well, we don't have to deal with as many, you know, black immigrants if there aren't as many black people. And so if we're pushing this on Africa and mind you, there are serious health problems associated with them. Like, blood clots. Um, yes. In 2017, 45 women, or for not women, I'm sorry, people died of meningitis. And we know of meningitis. It's like a risk people talk about, right? That same year, 800% of that, of that amount of people died from blood clots that could be traced directly back to hormonal contraceptives. Mm. So there are real, real problems associated mm-hmm. with it because when you mess up a woman's imbalance of hormones in her body, blood clotting mechanisms change as well. Mm-hmm. And so we're finding that we're putting these unnecessary risks on because remember we can family plan in other ways on these poor countries out of this like i'm a white savior yeah yeah um and the result is just hurting Mm -hmm. these perhaps impoverished or underprivileged populations which is not what they deserve Mm -hmm. if i deserve to be able to chart and know my body and find these you know biomarkers which lead me to identify a hormone disorder why don't they Right. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it, too, is that, again, coming from that very Western superiority complex that we tend to have, like a lot of people think, well, we we really should just send them, you know, contraceptives and condoms because they don't these poor third world people couldn't possibly understand the mechanisms of their body working well. Like, like, you know, that's just the bigotry of low expectations. Yes, it is. Yeah. But what's but what is yeah. so what is so contrary to that notion is that one of the largest studies of fertility awareness and the practice of natural family planning is from a third world country called India, <laughs> where yep. a like is it like over twenty thousand women were introduced to um, uh, fertility awareness through um, a young through a, a very small diminutive uh, <laughs> nun named Mother <laughs> Teresa. You know, and right. she a part of her mission is that she taught women in this third world country, these poor women, many of whom were probably illiterate, many yes. of whom didn't understand how to manage their fertility, but they were taught 
to to appreciate certain signs and were actually very capable and effective in planning their families using fertility awareness. And this was a huge, like this was in the British Medical Journal, I believe that this study was wow. published. I mean, it's it's bonkers how blind we are in our Western superiority to the fact that these these people in these other countries who, you know, don't live the same way we do, we shouldn't expect them to, number one, because they have a different culture in the first yeah. place, yeah. where yes. many of them, at least in Africa, actually appreciate family size. Yes. You know, it's and actually how much more a, yeah. empowering and powerful, yeah. like to, to the, the idea that a, a contraceptive pill or like you said, an implant or whatever the case may be, that that empowers women to take control of their, their life and their career and their, you know, fill in the blank. But how much more empowering is it to actually control, mm-hmm. to actually whoa sorry <laughs> mic drop literally <laughs> to actually control I was hitting the table as happens when I get excited uh, to actually control and know how their body works I mean that is that's a hundred times more empowerment yeah. yes like yeah. I, I just I can't even I don't know I think I just we look at it differently obviously from some of these um organizations that are pushing so hard mm-hmm. um yeah. you know and artificial we- contraception Linking those two things together, um, Fran's mention of Mother Teresa and your mention of the the beauty and empowerment that comes from knowing your body. Um, Mother Teresa did not only, um, you know, communicate and teach billings, which is actually the method she used um, to the people of India. She also required her sisters of charity, who, by the way, are celibate nuns, well, celibate religious sisters, mm-hmm. to learn it as well, because she understood the value of them knowing their bodies and knowing you know what, I'm ovulating, that's why I'm extra, you know, maybe weepy or- That's I why I want to kill everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I'm hungry. Actually, that would be after exactly. ovulation. <laughs> so in a place where medical care is perhaps subpar a lot yeah. of the time for a lot of the population, being able to know your own body and identify problems on your own is huge. It's extremely helpful and it helps to level the playing field between the poor and the rich. Yes, I oh love that. You're speaking my language. I do want to- um, mentioned two things that you just brought up is you mentioned that Mother Teresa's um, preferred or at least the method that she employed um, during her ministry was Billings method. That might be something that a lot of people don't realize. And I would say for years, it it even still exists today. Um, I think it's getting better, but there has been this like very turfiness between the different methods so like you dumb. know what method oh. do you practice blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know and so you mentioned billings we also have yep. something called the symptothermal method That's we right. have a creighton method um Marquette. we have uh, is it family of the americas is that i think the, so is that, that temperature only method big. yeah i think one of my sister-in-laws well. actually learned that method really though. yeah yeah she that learned- would be the first person i've ever heard about that like I know someone who knows someone. Yeah. So, and it was temperature only. And I remember, I can't, I think they had been married. She and my brother had been married for a short amount of time and um, they came and she was like, so I kind of need some more information. Like it wasn't, not that it wasn't (laughs) Wasn't effective. It wasn't, it wasn't enough. And I think a lot of people have that, have that sense. And I, teach the symptothermal method, not because I think it's it's the best method for everybody, but I often think that it's the best introduction for everybody. I would agree with that. Um, I think that it's nice to be able to know from the beginning all the biomarkers. And then from there, depending on your cycle and like maybe irregularities to be able to pick, okay, this method 
forgets this other biomarker that isn't useful for me anyway. Mm -hmm. And I can just use this. Perhaps someone's cycle is so regular, they can rely just on the temperature sign to identify the windows. And that's wonderful. There's lots of women who have, you know, endometriosis or PCOS. And it seems that creatin is the most effective way for them to identify problems because, or I'm sorry, identify windows because there are problems in their cycle. Mm -hmm. There's not every method fits every woman, but there is a method for every woman. Absolutely. It's like, and just it's like every, sorry. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, just like every medication doesn't work That's the right. same for every woman. So, I mean, yeah. it, amen that we've got different ways to track fertility and plan family, mm-hmm. you know, naturally that's within church teaching that's natural, that's safe and healthy for your body. Mm-hmm. That's right. Forrest, can you give like a little primer on the various methods? Just if someone's listening to this and this is the first time they're like, I think I might want to know more about NFP. Where should <laughs> I start? Again, my recommendation as a symptom method teacher, I would say go there first, but people yeah. might want to know what the options are. And remember that um, as far as NFP, he specifically goes, um, that's identifying fertile and infertile windows. And that's when picking signs can be kind of important. But if you are unmarried, for instance, and you just want to get to know your cycle, you have a lot more flexibility. Um, and it won't be as hard to transition from one to another because you're not worried about, you know, planning a family. So, um, again, all of the types of methods use a different combination of those three primary biomarkers, which is basal body temperature, cervical discharge, and cervical texture and like position. Um, so symptothermal, which is the one that's actually how I met Fran was, she was a teacher (laughs) for the organization I worked for, um, that uses all three. So it uses a temperature sign and the discharge sign, but then it has an optional cervical sign. If you'd like to, not everyone's comfortable with that. Um, Billings and Marquette, I'm sorry, just Billings is a, um, is a mucus only. And so is Creighton. So you use the discharge primarily. Now, sometimes a Creighton doctor will ask you to add in temperature if there's something that they're trying to identify, such as ovulation. Um, but that's not always the case. Um, Marquette uses the discharge primarily, but then if you're into tech, um, it also uses ovulation strips in order to identify when you've ovulated. So you have a little gadget that you, it's kind of like a pregnancy test where you would pee on um, a little strip and then you'd stick it in the machine and it tells you your hormone levels to a scientific degree, um, very objective, that allows you to identify what window you're in. Um, and then like you said, I think you said I don't know what you said. School of America. Fam- Family of the Americas. Maybe Family that's the name of it. I think School of the Americas is a terrorist oh, organization. Oh, oh no! <laughs> it's not <laughs> that one. No <laughs> one Google that. Not that. Um, there, yeah, there are temperature-only methods. How do you um, know I'm that? I'm not familiar with any. I, well, uh, there were protests that my university engaged in each year. So, uh, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah. So there's a lot of different. Again, there's a lot of different methods. What I don't recommend ever, um, even if you are just doing it to try to get to know your cycle and you're not married, I don't recommend Frankenstein'ing methods together. Yes, um, fertility oh science is so complicated. Yeah. And you really have to know your stuff to know whether you can just mix and match certain things. I'm sure there are professionals out there who could, but the average couple, the average girl cannot do that. Um, I have a friend who she got married the day, I think it was the day after she graduated college. 
her and her husband both graduated and the next day they got married, you can imagine their finances. They did not have the money to take any courses, which while not expensive, I mean, they were super tight on their mm -hmm. budget. So they did some research and they just kind of Frankenstein methods together. I talked to her about it one time and she said it was working for her. Mm -hmm. um, and then they found out that they just weren't capable of getting pregnant. So uh, it's not that it was working for them. Yeah. It's that they had serious problems that they weren't able to identify because never actually charted. Mm -hmm. They were just guessing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm so sorry to interrupt. No, I was um, just going to give a closing <laughs> sentence. Go ahead. Do. I want to hear that sentence. It wasn't created yet. I was going to make it up as I would. Okay. <laughs> I'm extroverted. I think externally. So. <laughs> I was just going to piggyback off of what you said. Um, that is like one of the things that I tell women all the time who have yet to like commit to NFP or to fertility awareness. I'm like, just pick a method. Like you yeah, have to learn pick. a method. Um, it, because if you don't have the language of the method, then no one can help you. And I have so many women, yeah. um, it's interesting, there haven't been very many uh, symptothermal teachers here in the Nashville area. It's, I mean, there's actually a very robust Catholic community. Yeah. Many people say they practice in FP, <laughs> but when it comes down to the brass tacks, I'm like, well, what method are you using? And they'll say, well, a little bit of this and a little <sighs> bit of that. And, and it's very frustrating because a lot of people want help. Like they, they say, well, you look at my chart. And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't read chart. that chart. Yeah. Like, it doesn't look like the chart I'm used to reading. So I'm going to need to like, you know, bone up on that. But like, there's so many little technicalities from method to method that are important if you're having problems, especially. Again, yeah. if you're easy peasy textbook, I can probably look at your chart and tell you whether or not you've ovulated, yeah. whether or not you have a healthy mucus pattern. You know, I can probably tell that as a teacher. But if you're having a problem, then you need to like at least speak my language, which means yeah. learn my method. Right. And that's hard because there is an investment of time and yes. money and resources and buy-in, you know, in terms of like, mm -hmm. this is what I'm doing. All of these other things that I thought I was doing before, I kind of can't do them right now because I'm learning this method. Which I think people hear that and that kind of turns them off because we're used to easy instant gratification. Mm -hmm. But when you think about other elements of your health, like you need to decide on the workout regimen that works best for you, whether it's officially being in the gym or something like regular walks. I mean, you, mm -hmm. need, to, you need to identify it and stick to it. And the same is true of diet. Um, not that it has to be official in those realms. Since this is a different kind of science, because fertility science is so crazy complicated, think about the fact that doctors who work with you know, male genitalia usually specialize in other places. But OBGYNs focus entirely on this tiny area on a woman's mm -hmm. body because so much happens there. Mm -hmm. So you can't just BS your way through this science. Mm -hmm. um, but while you're talking about, you know, maybe problems that people come to you with, can we just, you know, briefly touch on period problems that people don't realize are problems? Yes, and, please. Yeah. So a lot of, um, myself included, a lot of uh, women think that um, cramping is just like a part of being a woman and it's, it's necessary the worst. evil. Yeah. That's right. And it is the worst, but <laughs> actually um, a healthy period, um, the cramping should be no more than a mild distraction. Um, your, your body is technically uh, practicing by um, those uterine contractions, which is what cramps are for pregnancy one day, but it's not supposed to feel like labor or anything close. And if you are able, if you're distracted throughout like your work day because of your periods or throughout class, that means that there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. um, it could be nutritional. That's the most likely thing. A lot of times um, the American lab 
lacks something called omega-3 fatty acids. So a simple supplement of fish oil or flax oil can often um, help alleviate that pain. But it could also mean, if it's bad, endometriosis or PCOS. The same is true when it comes to the amount um, of a woman's bleeding. There's no nice way to say that. Sorry to um, John, our guy behind the scenes, and everyone else who's listening. <laughs> is not a woman. Um, the amount of, of bleeding also tells you a lot. Um, there is such a thing as too little bleeding. That's mm-hmm. not a good thing because that means your your endometrial lining isn't building up sufficiently. Not sufficient, yeah. That's right. But there's such a thing as too much also. The metric that um, we, t- we tended to use at CCL is if you fill um, a regular sanitary pad in two hours and you need a new one, that, that's too much. I would say that's on kind of an extreme end. Um, that's the kind of thing that you would keep track of while you're charting. You would kind of identify each day how heavy your bleeding was, and you can bring that to a doctor. The color of the bleeding can make a difference too. Brown um, beginning at the, at the beginning and end of your cycle can indicate low progesterone, which can mean infertility in the future. Yes, Fran raised her hand. Yes. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I'm sorry, I, that, I get so I mean, excited. T- TMI, but that is, uh, that is true. Like low progesterone is a thing. And many women who experience low progesterone also, just as you said, have infertility pro- or suffer with infertility. And oftentimes you can almost predict it by what you're describing is the, the color of your. Uh, of your mental discharge discharge. yeah Yeah. you know again if it's if it begins or ends in a in a brown tinge then just as you said it might be low progesterone and if you want to get pregnant that is also super important because you want to go straight to your OBGYN and say I think I may have low progesterone they can actually test for that and if you have repeated if you have repeated miscarriage because of short luteal phases or low progesterone then you've identified a problem that in well even today, people might say, well, you just, you're just you just infertile, so now let's get you on some Clomid. Yeah. Let's get you on some medication to treat an infertility problem that really has nothing to do with the fact that you can't get pregnant. That's right. It just you have has to, to address do with- the progesterone first. Yes, yes. Which they supplement. You can supplement yeah. that. It's funny. Yes. I was uh, I'm, I drive for Lyft part-time, and when I went to do like the health test to prove I would be on the road without you know passing out or something, um, they asked about any medications I was on. And I do have low progesterone. That's how I know so much about it. Um, and I'm supplementing it. Um, and the the doctor asked what I was on. And I told him, like, sometimes I'm on progesterone. And they're like, oh, birth control? And I was like, kind of. I'm trying to control <laughs> that I get pregnant. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you can supplement for that, that kind of thing. And I, I would emphasize again, like while we're briefly talking about my experience with low progesterone, like I said, I charted way before I ever, you know, got engaged to my husband. And as a result, before we got married, I was able to identify this hormonal imbalance I had um, because I noticed that my basal body temperatures were low. Here's the thing. We have so to talk low, about like this. almost dead low. Yeah. Like I thought, <laughs> I thought it was like, um, heart rate, resting heart rate. I was like, Oh, if it's low, I'm just super fit. And so my <laughs> resting temperature was crazy, crazy low, like crazy low. Like I couldn't even chart it on my chart. There wasn't a space yep. for the number I was getting. Um, and I, I went to my boss and I bragged about it a little bit and it's like, <laughs> look how low it is. And she goes, go to the doctor. Uh-oh. Um, and I found out that I had some, and we're still not done. This is my point. It's been mm-hmm. two years, and I'm still not quite 
the point with my doctors where we know exactly which hormone it is that's wrong. We know which ones are a problem so far, Mm -hmm. but we don't exactly know what's causing it. And I've miscarried once. I will Mm -hmm. probably miscarry again until we figure it out. Mm -hmm. This is something I think a lot of, especially Catholic couples, wait to learn NFP until marriage prep because they feel like they don't need it. In fact, there's an argument that if if young women know too much about their cycles, they'll nefariously use it to avoid pregnancy, (laughs) having premarital sex, which like honestly, if they know enough about fertility science to do that, not that it's a good thing, but also power to them because that's not easy. Um, It's not really a threat. Women are going to be much more amazed at how empowered they feel than they are like, oh, I'm going to whatever. It's easier to pop a pill than to read a chart. I never Um, understood that argument, by the way. Like I I heard it a lot, especially when I was uh, first training to be a teacher. I I said uh, to to many people like, golly, I really wish that we could develop a program for like high school girls, because that's where, I mean, that's when you need to start noting these things and paying attention to them. I mean, as soon as you hit puberty, like start paying attention, start charting. It's not going to kill you. And people would say to me, oh, that's too much information. for some girls because they might, you know, make choices about when they're going to have premarital sex based on their fertility cycles. And I'm like, no, they're not. Okay. It's a lot of effort. <laughs> it's a lot it's of effort. It's a lot of effort and you don't have to, to be nefarious. <laughs> yeah. Right. You don't, you don't have to teach how to read the charts. You have to teach what, what does and doesn't, well, it's what like, isn't, isn't normal on a chart. Newsflash a lot of teenage girls are on birth control pill and a lot of them use the excuse of, you know, heavy cramping or acne or, you know, whatever the irregularity, whatever the case may be. And let's just be honest. It is, it is easy. And I think a lot of times parents can say, well, it's for, you know, Mm -hmm. major cramping or whatever, but it's an easy out to put your kid on birth control and and not worry Mm -hmm. about consequences. So I'm, that's just ridiculous. And teaching, teaching a a young teenage girl about her body. Um, like you said, it's way more empowering and and that's a whole lot of effort to, to, (laughs) you know, to, to be in a relationship as a, as a teenager. But if they're, if, if they're going to go through the extremes of being on birth control pill, then, you know, we, we've got another issue on our hands. Like if parents are putting their kids on birth control pill, um, to avoid pregnancy, teaching them about their body is going to be a lot more effective because I, cause I have these conversations with my kids that are like, well, so-and-so, you know, it's, it's just for this situation. I'm like, FYI, it's a bandaid. It's not curing anything she's got going on. It's, it's masking her symptoms. It, she's not, oh my goodness. I'm excited. (laughs) But my kids don't know that. And I'm sure these other kids don't know that. You know what I mean? Like tell these kids, you're not, you're not helping yourself. You're just not feeling what you, what your body's doing. Well, I'm not a mother of daughters, but I will say this, that I can imagine it's just easier. Like you don't have to have the hard conversation. It's a little bit awkward. And guys, guess what? I've actually had this conversation with my boys about women's fertility cycle. So that's super hard too. But I can imagine that if you need to get a little bit more in depth with a young woman, that it gets a little weird. Like you have to say words that are kind of hard sometimes, but like, can we get over that? Yeah. Can we parent? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and to be fair, I think a lot of parents are told by doctors, like, this is how we fix the cramping problem. This is how we fix the acne problem. I know my own dad, who is very protective, um, put my youngest sister on birth control because she had a problem with acne and a few other things. Um, But 
my family, we have the crazies in our family on both sides. We have severe mental illness and she ended up suicidal, um, which was just something my dad didn't anticipate because he was told by a doctor who we trust very much that this was the solution. I think a lot of people don't understand that there's alternatives, don't understand that it's a Band-Aid and they Mm -hmm. think this is the best choice. But, and this connects to kind of what I was saying earlier, let's say we have a family who puts their daughter on birth control because uh, she has endometriosis and she cannot handle how, you know, bad her cramps Mm -hmm. are. And I get it because those are truly debilitating. Guys, I think, assume that we're making it up, but no, like endometriosis is very serious. Yes. So then she gets engaged. She needs, she knows she has to come off the pill in order to have mm-hmm. a child and they want to start trying pretty soon after they're married. Maybe she's a little older or just excited about kids. Coming off the pill, first of all, can take anywhere from three months to a year, mm-hmm. uh, depending on, and when I say the pill, I really mean any hormonal contraceptive, which will make charting harder because then you might be married by the time you're finally getting regular charts that actually reflect what's going on in your body. I do want to clarify what you just said. You said coming off the pill may take three months to a year. It doesn't mean that you have to like, like, uh, titrate down. It means (laughs) that your return to fertility may be from three months to up to a year. Yes. That's right. Yeah. And for the hormones to leave your body and your body Mm -hmm. to get back into gear. To Um, learn what it's supposed to do on its own. So not only is time identifying potential problems in your period already gone and you're already married and trying to figure out why do I keep miscarrying or Mm -hmm. why can't we get pregnant at all? Um, but then on top of that, especially in the case of endometriosis, since hormonal contraceptive co- contraceptions basically freeze the hormonal state of your body in a state similar to menopause, whenever those hormones kick back into gear, the endometrial lining, which is outside of uh, where it's supposed to be, that's what endometriosis is, the endometrial lining grows in bad places, it continues to grow. So rather than addressing the problem, we froze right. it for a few years and it might come back worse, but it will certainly come back. And right. so now we have a return to these cramps and, and, and pregnancy can be more difficult because of scarring from endometriosis. So really this all could have been avoided if we had just looked at Fix the problem. The problem. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Um, I do want to say one thing that comes up a lot, at least more recently, because I do, as we mentioned before, I think that um, the secular world or even even Catholics are starting to become and and Christians in general, like are becoming more aware of these health risks and the downsides of artificial contraception, like um, the pill, the injectables and things like that. But most of the young women coming to us to learn NFP because they have to, because their priest said they had to, (laughs) um, have (laughs) IUDs. Let's talk a little bit about that because the commercials or the marketing of an IUD, especially the the non-hormonal copper only IUD is that it's the natural choice. Right, nothing says natural like sticking copper up your vagina. We need t- t-shirts that say that. But, but yes. it's, it's bonkers to me. What what do you think about that? Like, how do we how do we address this new kind of trend of IUDs being the answer? Because a lot of people are getting more on board with, I don't really want the hormones for a number of yeah. reasons. Most oh, of sure. them are because of the, um, the, is it the estrogenics? Um, you want yeah. to talk a little bit about that first, maybe? About estrogenics, sure. Yeah. Estrogenics are molecules that mimic estrogen. Um, They occur lots of places. They occur naturally, uh, but just because something is natural doesn't make it good. Mm -hmm. Um, It also doesn't make it bad. Um, But estrogenics are a problem because the receptors in our bodies that read estrogen and testosterone for women, these estrogenics mimic less than what estrogen would. 
mm-hmm. meaning that our bodies don't get enough true estrogen. And in men, the estrogen is bigger than the normal dose of estrogen in men's and yes men have estrogen in their bodies <laughs> women have testosterone in their bodies um but because of that this is where the whole like soy boy concept comes from that has gotten mm-hmm. highly politicized mm-hmm. um because soy does have estrogenics in it mm-hmm. um these these molecules land on those receptors and their body interprets it as more estrogen than they're accustomed to mm-hmm. and so we see physiological changes um but i mean american fertility has dropped dramatically i believe mm-hmm. Let me just check this stat really fast because I don't want to give it to you wrong. Male fertility, looking, has yes, male fertility, yeah. More than 50% since 1973. And mm-hmm. this is because primarily of estrogenics. They're fa- this is what the BPA thing is with water bottles. It has mm-hmm. estrogenics in it, which is the problem. There's um, wow. estrogenics in fragrances, um, in certain foods, in cannabis. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. So the question isn't how do I get rid of them because you mm-hmm. can't. The, the question is how do I mitigate the amount that I'm exposed to. And there's this is another problem with um, hormonal contraceptives being so popular. There's an environmental um, problem with them because as they go through a woman's body and then she urinates them out, those go through sewers into the oceans and they return to the environment. In certain areas of Florida, they tell you directly not to drink the water, like around Ave Maria University, for instance. Um, they're, they're finding fish that are, you know, um, I guess you could say transgender, but I mm-hmm. use that very loosely. Basically, they're they're having a mix up in their genome, mm-hmm. and they're coming out basically ambiguous with mm-hmm. their with their sex organs. Um, we're seeing real problems as a result of it. Mm-hmm. So, and so those are the ecological um, effects of pumping these hormones into our bodies and then pumping them back into the environment, um, which is, I think, where a lot of women who are maybe coming from a very secular point of view are saying, okay, I see, I'm starting to see why it might be problematic, but I've got this natural choice. Natural. <laughs> yeah. I, IUDs, especially... So that stands for intrauterine device. Mm-hmm. These are the things that look like a T, maybe you've seen before. Um, one of my favorite pictures is of a baby who was delivered clutching the IUD mm-hmm. that was supposed to prevent that child from ever implanting. Yeah. So we know that they're not exactly um, effective. But now they're they're certainly more effective than the pill. The mm-hmm. pill's um, effectiveness rating is, I believe, 92% um, used practically. So that's mm-hmm. like everyday people using it. Mm-hmm. I think the copper IUD, it's pretty high. It's like 96 but again, even NFP, like there's no perfect way to, you know, prevent pregnancy because frankly, it's not our business. But also, um, I think that people look at the IUD as a way to have control um, because it's easier than mm-hmm. having control through maybe a more difficult way. It's the same reason, and I'm mean, in my opinion, and I'm sure people would disagree, as the reason people take diet pills. You can get the same effect, more better for it's healthier to just follow this regimen of basic exercise and nutrition. But instead, it's easy to pop a pill. Mm-hmm. It's easy to have a device inserted into your uterus and not worry about it for five years. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, it's just it's and, and I think that it's important also, especially for people who have a pro-life eth- ethic yeah. to consider how especially the all natural <laughs> method the copper iud works um you know if it's impregnated which is such a weird word to use if it's <laughs> if it's an iud impregnated with hormones then you will have yeah. some of the effects of the contraceptive pill or an injection but if you're using the again m- no one can see my air quotes here if you're using the all natural choice of the copper iud which would not have hormonal um 
impregnation again it's such a weird word but i think that's the word they use um if it's if it's an all natural copper iud then the way in which it works is by irritating the lining of oh, the right. uterus yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so causing scarring causing lo- lots of problems but but secondarily it doesn't prevent you from ovulating yeah. So when a sperm meets an egg, we call that conception, and it happens in the fallopian tube, right? right? That's where conception occurs yep. for women. Um, once you have that new life that has a distinct DNA structure, that is a, a, a distinctly d- different genetic being, not you, traveling down the fallopian tube, yeah. it's looking for a place to implant in the uterus. If you have a device that is constantly disrupting the normal functioning of a woman's uterus, what do you think happens to that new life? What is the natural yes. way by which you are not pregnant? It, sh- it sheds. So this scary. new life has nowhere to implant. To yep. This new life has no happy, cozy place to make its home for the next nine months. And the natural way in which you are not pregnant is your body has an early abortion and you never even knew it. Now, I know that that's hard. It's hard to hear that. And when I talk to women who are uh, who have an IUD, they're like, my doctor never told me that. Well, yeah, (laughs) did you want first of all, did you want them to? Did, yeah, did you want yeah. them to tell you that's how it's working? No, we want to hear that this is the nat- this is the more natural choice. It's more effective because there's less user um, fault, you know, because I can forget to take a pill at the same time every day, or I can forget to take a pill for a couple of days, and that affects the efficacy rate of the pill. Right. That can't really affect the efficacy rate of an inserted device in my uterus. So it is more effective, but how is it effective? Mm-hmm. That is so important, especially if we are dealing with people with a pro-life ethic. Yep. That's right. And going back to fertility awareness, having an IUD and even a copper one, it's still going to impact the way your chart looks. And mm-hmm. it's not going to reflect what's truly happening in your body because yeah. of the irritation and the, the incorrect buildup of endometrium mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So truth, like if you want an easy solution that is not exactly good, sure, that's there. Yeah. But we don't deserve that. We deserve oh, better. Yeah. Women deserve more. And we're capable of it. That's what always yes, kills yes. me. It's like we are competent human beings with brains and with the ability to observe our bodies to effectively manage our fertility, not control it. Like I'm That's not right. controlling what That's my right. body is doing. I'm observing what my body is doing. And then I'm making behavioral choices based on my observations. And that might sound kind of complex for some people, but guess what? Women are able to do that. I mean, right. we, we can Women, do more than one thing at a time. So Remember that the <laughs> multitaskers. Un- undereducated women in foreign, you know, third yes. world countries yes. are able to do this. It, it's not like it's hard. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's not complicated. Yeah. And, I mean, and honestly, these are things you probably picked up about your body anyway. Right. Yeah. And I will say this. I don't want to I don't want to give the impression. Um, I never want to give the impression that NFP is easy. Yeah. Um, because yep. I think that that's something that we suffered with for a long time. Well, there. OK, so when we first uh, pr- started promoting natural family planning to engage couples, there was this like narrative that we were coached really to talk about. <laughs> it's the it's the honeymoon um, engagement cycle where you know when you're when you're trying yeah. to 
postpone pregnancy. So you're trying not to get pregnant. You have um, this, this, you know, during your most fertile time, it's kind of like when you're engaged, right? And you're, yeah. you know, you're kind of excited, um, looking forward to coming together, but you're not doing it right now. So it's yeah. kind of like your engagement. But then when you enter into <laughs> natural infertility, it's like your honeymoon every right. month. And it's <laughs> like, it's so hokey. Like I'm kind of embarrassed that we actually did say these words. We said these words. No, well, and I think there's value to them, but it's glossing over some yes. very real, some very real difficulties for people. Yeah, and and one of which is, guess what? When a woman is most fertile, that's actually when she would like to engage in the behavior, <laughs> and when it's physically easiest. Yes. Oh, totally. There there are physiological um, benefits. Yeah. to the behavior during her most fertile time. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to be like super proper about this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He said all the words good. already. Uh, if you just, just let me step in and I'll say the uncomfortable ones. I, so I've been doing um, Catholic sexual ethics my whole career. And uh, I got to the point where words like ejaculation were considered professional vocabulary. And I would occasionally forget that other people do not consider that professional <laughs> vocabulary and not in like a work environment, like at home. And it became weird. So I'll say the words if you need me to. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I almost forget where I was going with it. Other than um, we need to, we need to have a clear, we need to communicate communicate clearly you, you have to actually say the word communicate clearly clearly in order for it to work but uh, <laughs> um, we need to find a better way to communicate that fertility awareness in terms of if, if you if you are a healthy woman with a well-functioning um fertility uh system then it should be relatively easy for you to plug into that and figure out what's going on. Like, you know, if your nose is running that you might have a cold, you know, you know, there, we do this again, we do this all the time about tons of other physiological systems. And yet we think it's like super complicated when it comes to the reproductive system when, re when really we just need the education right. to figure out what's yeah. going on. I think where it does get a little bit more tricky and where we need to be more clear about the what's really hard about NFP is that it also comes with responsibility and making choices. That's right. And that's not something that our culture of, just as you said, instant gratification, pornography, you know, sex at any time, any way with anyone, that's not what jives with that culture. Like self-control is, yeah, it is a lie. Yeah. Talk about that. <laughs> it's, I think that the, the lie that the, the sexual revolution sold and contraception was key here was that in order to be free, you have to be able to do whatever you want when you want to do it, mm -hmm. um, which doesn't apply anywhere else in life. Like mm -hmm. in order to be free, I can eat, I have to be able to eat ice cream as much as I want anytime, which if you know me is I desire it all the time, but that doesn't make me free. That, I that share puts, this desire and yes. it feels like slavery sometimes. <laughs> it does, but that's the thing, right? <laughs> we know that there are serious consequences that result in a slavery. Yeah. If I am so overweight or, or I don't have nutrition, I don't have a good blood sugar um, balance or my insulin is becoming resistant because of this behavior, I'm not free anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Freedom isn't just doing things, right? Is the person who does cocaine free? Mm -hmm. No, they're a slave to a drug. Mm -hmm. So just because something is easy doesn't 
doesn't make it good. And just because something is hard doesn't make it bad. Yes. And we, because we bought that part of the sexual revolution yeah. lie that we need to be able to just get our rocks off when we want, mm-hmm. that makes NFP so much harder. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that ignoring that part, NFP is necessarily easy. Again, fertility mm-hmm. awareness is different than NFP. When you start trying to coordinate with your beloved about coming together, during times when maybe you really want to and Mm -hmm. you know that while you can, maybe it's not prudent, that's kind of a hard part. And talking with somebody about gross things like Mm -hmm. what my mucus looks like (laughs) is, I mean, that's hard. And these are valid and true and and real problems. I think what we're seeing right now, especially this past NFP week on the Twitterverse, which is a horrible place to be sometimes, um, (laughs) is that... We, we've gone so long without talking about the difficulties of NFP yeah. and making it all sunshine and unicorns and rainbows that we, we're pushing back against it and we're seeing mm-hmm. people really want to complain publicly about how this is difficult. And isn't that, but, but to an extreme that I'm like, did you not know that? Yeah. So, and I think, I think it's because they felt like they were lied to at the beginning, like oh, people okay. saying I told at the them beginning. That lie. Well, but here's the thing. Your there's honeymoon a, and engagement a, phase. Right, right. I thought this was going to be told fun. I would have monthly honeymoons. Um, <laughs> it's, I think that it wasn't a lie. I think that they feel like it was lied to because there's a gap between what you were saying mm-hmm. because you were selling it yeah. and what they thought you meant. Yeah. And so then when they find out that it's a cross, just like everything in the Christian life, virtue is a cross. Mm-hmm. Um, they find that now they're a little butthurt about it. Now they're a little yeah. bit off. And I don't blame them. Like I had a lot of prep because I worked for a company mm-hmm. that did this before I got married. I can only imagine how I would have felt let down. And there is a time and a place to be upset and to come together and to commiserate. There's actually a Facebook group called NFP Commiseration. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, it, well, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's a dark place. <laughs> you don't know. Um, and I think that's valid. But I think that if we're looking at a culture that is already resistant to the idea of virtue and self-control, mm-hmm. and then we have this thing and we're like, oh, I planned my family this way, it's good. And also I hate it so much, it sucks. Here's an entire thread on why it's the worst. Yeah. We are never going to convince people that virtue is good. Yeah. We have to be able to say, yes, it has difficulties, but so does learning to be honest and chaste and patient and, and all these other gifts of the spirit and all of these other virtues. Mm-hmm. You know well, what else even, stinks? Go ahead. Go ahead. Blood clots. Yeah. Cancer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Premature death. I mean, like, I, I, that's just life. Life is yeah. going to come with challenges no matter what you choose. But, but, but one is so much better. One so much far outweighs the other that mm-hmm. I just kind of want to say, get over your beef. Yeah. <laughs> get over your, which is a pro- process. You're right. I mean, ultimately, yeah. that's the Christian life, right? Mm-hmm. Except cross and dying to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it brings joy which mm-hmm. I think most people who practice NFP um, who have embraced it as a cross and not as a really crappy thing they have mm-hmm. to do, you'll find that they are joyful. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And I would say even, you know, we, we talked about it in terms of the the Christian virtues, but I would say even in a very secular um, perspective, like people talk about exercise in that way too. Like, you know, I want <laughs> I want to be healthy. I want for my body to work properly. So I exercise and, I, and I'll tell you all the great things about exercise. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time telling you how it's really hard to get out of bed every day because yeah. my thighs or my back or my arms killing me. Like, I don't spend a lot of time talking about that because the benefits so far outweigh the crosses 
for the end that I'm looking for. And that's, again, just a very secular perspective. Okay, I know that we're running up on time. There's one other thing that I wanted to to mention, just because you had mentioned it when we were talking about the um, estrogenics and this idea of transgendered um, fish, (laughs) things like that. Um, What do you think is the connection um, between contraception and this new wave of of gender fluidity? Do you you see a connection there? I do, and it actually brings up a point that I wanted to make earlier. Tracy made a comment earlier that I think some people who are listening perhaps with um, uncharitable ears might misinterpret. Um, You made a comment about taking away the ability of African women to reproduce is taking away their femininity. And I think you're totally right because the difference between a man's body and a woman's body is that that which is feminine Mm -hmm. is all built towards this creation and nurturing and support of this child both in utero and later. I think some women would hear that and think, if I don't want kids or if I can't have kids, I am therefore not a woman. And we know, Tracy, you definitely didn't mean that. Not just No, because, because of- I, I have not birthed my own children, so obviously. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. And that's that's not what it means. But I think that um, when, when we've talked about the sexual revolution sold us a lie that we have to be able to have sex whenever we want. And for a woman to be able to do that, she has to be like a man. And if a woman is going to be like a man in every way and later waves of feminism also taught that I think it was an unintentional thing. I think it's a a, a flaw in logic, but it comes down to I have to be able to do everything a man can do or I'm not a woman, which is Mm -hmm. weird and actually kind of misogynistic. Mm -hmm. I think that when you look at contraception, which makes women like men. Mm-hmm. whether we like it or not that's ultimately what it's doing yep. um, because remember there are feminine ways to plan a family and they mm-hmm. don't involve turning off your fertility yeah um when we look at that and we say okay so the man is the norm the man is what should be the man is the ideal mm-hmm. how misogynistic the man is the ideal then we can start to erase well i'm a woman but I, mm-hmm. you know, don't cycle. So it's really not a part of who I am as a yeah, woman. Yeah. And it's easy to go down a legitimate slippery slope, not a logical fallacy, but a legitimate step-by-step over these lines as the Overton window shifts to say, maybe even though I, you know, look like a woman, um, I don't necessarily think like the women around me. So maybe mm-hmm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that there are there are realities about our bodies. And if we're Catholic, we believe that we are not just gendered bodies, but our souls, which are ingrained, our souls are not trapped in our bodies, they are ingrained. They're also gendered. And that is a beautiful and good thing. And I think that I think that when we talk about transgenderism, we find ourselves trapped between these two worlds with conflicting ideologies. Mm-hmm. One is, no matter what you like, or no matter what your passions are, or your desires are pink or blue or whatever, Sex exists exists beyond that. Gender Mm -hmm. exists beyond that. And then this other world of, well, I knew I was a man all along because I liked trucks. Mm -hmm. And those those are obviously in clear conflict. And there are so many voices on this right now that transgenderism, as we know it, exists kind of between those worlds Mm -hmm. at this collision of things that don't work together, which is why you see fights within, you know, transgender activism Mm -hmm. um, about, you know, that's why you have TERFs, for instance, trans exclusive radical feminists who in We we talked about that, Tracy, in terms of J.K. uh, Rowling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Who she's she totally and she wrote an entire 300 or 3000 word article on this. She 
totally is like, if you are transgender, you know, I want you to live that. And then she talks about how she also wants a space for women. Mm -hmm. And she sees this as an erasure Mm -hmm. of what it is to be a woman. And because we're not following any kind of logical step-by-step and we have these two inherently contradictory things, this concept of transgenderism, the way we're looking at it now, is going to fall apart. And that's something that J.K. Rowling's trying to highlight. And Mm -hmm. it does become misogynistic if we find it erasing areas where females deserve to exist and where women deserve to exist by ourselves. And those are so connected that all started because we decided to buy the lie in the Mm -hmm. sexual revolution that my fertility is not related to who I am as a woman. Yes. It is though. It is. Or that my sex or my gender has nothing to do with reproduction. Yeah. (laughs) I can totally turn that part off and, and, you know, be, be who live my truth or or whatever. And I just want to clarify that for anyone, you know, listening who this is striking a chord because Mm -hmm. maybe you experience gender dysphoria and stuff. Mm -hmm. This is not to say that that dysphoria isn't real. This is to say that the conversation we're having around what it is to be male and female, there are inherent flaws in the way yeah. the conversation's going and yeah. everyone deserves the truth including people who struggle with mm-hmm. their gender identity and in order to live joyfully as a catholic a christian or whatever you know perhaps our listeners are we deserve the truth yes Yes. No, I think that's beautiful. I think that's a really important point to make as well, because just as you said, gender dysphoria is a real thing, but it doesn't, it doesn't erase the fact that there is gender. That's right. And that's where, that's where our culture has just made such a wrong turn in my opinion. Um, So as we, as we wrap up, like guys, we could talk about, can we talk about this again? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Guys, I'm always happy to talk about this. (laughs) I love it. Where can, if someone's listening to this podcast and this might be their first like um, entree into this idea of fertility awareness or natural family planning, where would you immediately send them for us? I would say, um, especially someone who's maybe a little turned off by the religion aspect and just wants to hear about the health aspect. There's a website called Natural Womanhood um, and they do really good work. You can just Google Natural Womanhood. I can't remember if it's .com or .org. Um, But if you're, you know, here because Catholic click, um, (laughs) (laughs) then by all means, um, I'm partial to the Couple to Couple League on the grounds that I worked there. I say we like I'm there. I'm not. They started an initiative called Live the Love, which is specifically looking at fertility awareness Mm -hmm. um, for men to know more about women's bodies, for unmarried women. Like it's not just for married couples. Um, And that can all be found over at ccli.org. But there's other methods as well that are worth checking out. Um, Billings, B-I-L-L-I-N-G-S does a good job of um, putting out articles and covering other things. Creighton, which is spelled like the university because that's where it's from. Um, they they have a lot of good stuff. Those are all places you should totally go. Um, if you're on uh, Facebook or Twitter, um, you can look on Instagram for the hashtag like my fertility journey, NFP. Those are places where you can find um, women who are involved in the same experience. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Thanks so much. Okay, Wait, so my pleasure. Forrest, you, because you're you're part of our uh, Bellator family and you've been on the podcast before, I'm assuming you know that we do our last little bit, right? Do a last little bit, yeah. Yeah. Do you have one? I used it earlier, so no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys okay. go first and I'll, I'll think about my last little bit. Brian, do you have one? I do have one. You want me to go first? Sure. Okay. Um, there is like... 
okay, this is kind of a longish podcast in terms of what we usually do. Um, but if you need more today, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there is a, um, a, a it's, it was an interview. I think it might have even been a YouTube interview that has been turned into a podcast on Pints with, a, Pints with Aquinas, which is Matt Frad's um, podcast, which I love. Like my whole family listens to, to Pints with Aquinas. Um, but there's one particular one with Dr. Abigail Favale, um, who is a feminist or I don't know that she would say that she is a feminist. She might. I don't know. I don't know. Would she say post-feminist? It's a loaded word. She was very feminist, like in the most feminist of ways, like pro-contraception, pro-abortion. She's she's a feminist um, gender theory scholar. That's what she got her PhD in. Um, but she is interviewed for like two and a half hours with Matt Frad on a podcast, um, again, on Pints with Aquinas. And I think the podcast is called Feminism, Postmodernism, and Gender Theory or something to that effect. Anyway, she covers a lot in the middle um, about contraceptives and and gender um, theory and how they kind of interplay with each other and I would just uh, it was a fascinating interview for me to listen to it's super duper long because if that if that's not your deal then I'm sure there are shorter and sweeter things to listen to but um, if you need more and you need it today I would go there Love it. And I love, Fran, that you, your last little bit normally has something to do with what we're discussing. And I always <laughs> love that. Mine is usually so off the wall. It's like, do you remember? And so that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to share a do you remember? So, and I already told you this, but I just th thought it was interesting enough that we should share it with our um, audience. Regis Philbin recently passed away and I loved him because I loved Regis and Kathy Lee. And I watched him when he was after Kathy Lee left. You know, Kathy Lee lives not so far from me. Now. I do know this. <laughs> Everyone except for Forrest and I live in Nashville. <laughs> right. All the cool people except for the two of us um, live in Nashville. Yes, I did know that. It's so cool. But he um, passed away and he was always such a proud Catholic and a Notre Dame alum and a very really? proud Notre Dame alum. Oh, yeah. I had no He's idea. Got Oh yeah, yeah. He he was a big. He kind of even looks like the little Irish man with his oh with his God. fists up a little well, bit. And if he we think of, about it, like and he and <gasps> Lou Holtz were big buds. Yeah, so cute. Love him. Oh, but anyways, his my my um, eldest daughter went to Regis Jesuit High School in Colorado before we moved um, to Arizona, and so and I never really knew where Regis got his name. Well, his dad went to Regis High School in like New York. And I guess maybe got kicked out or got in trouble or something like that. And kind of as a reparation, when he got older, he named his first child Regis <laughs> after his high school that he, um, you know, maybe had some regrets towards how he behaved. <laughs> and Gosh. I didn't know that until, you know, just reading some articles on him, which I thought was so cool. So if you got a kid at Regis, uh, any Regis, you know, high school or college, that's a little um, connection there to Regis Philbin. That's Can cool. you imagine? Hey, Dad, where did I get my name? Oh, I hated that high school, so I named. Well, you no, after I don't think it. he hated it. I think he just he got in trouble there or something like that. He was, he was sad to have left. Okay, I think he was kind of mischievous. <laughs> but he, I know, I think he really had a very fondness for it. He named his kid after the school. Yeah. You know, it took Regis Philbin dying for me to realize his last name was spelled with a B. I thought it was Philman. Oh. oh. And I, I was like, oh, everyone's mistyping this word. And I'm usually the correct <laughs> one, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay. Do you have one? For I do. Us? And okay. it's related to the topic. Sorry, of Tracy. Of course it is. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, I would just say to any women, married or unmarried, who are listening to this, um, just because 
you feel like your cycle's been the same way your whole life doesn't necessarily make it healthy. And if you're suffering, you shouldn't be. Um, go to the doctor, but here's the thing. Not every doctor is going to be understanding because fertility science is something that isn't super welcome in a lot of med schools because a lot of classes are funded by um, drug companies and by pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals, pharmaceutical companies and natural family planning and fertility awareness does not involve drugs. It's so, free. Yeah. It, yeah. It's <laughs> free. It's, it's all natural. And so that means there's not a lot of funding for it to get taught in schools. I, I know that that's a ridiculous miscarriage of justice, but it's true. So a lot of places, a lot of people, a lot of doctors, you only don't know um, about things like the fact that your chart, your fertility cycle is the fifth vital sign for women. So if you go to the doctor and they say, what, you're having cramps, here's birth control, don't give up. Mm -hmm. I went to a doctor um, with a chart expecting them to know um, what, because they were so helpful on these other health problems I had. It was a woman expecting her to know what was wrong. And I said, you know, I I think I have um, hypothyroidism. And she was like, oh, it's impossible. You're in your 20s. And I was like, "Ah, but here's why. And I explained my low basal body temperature and things um, and when I said that, she goes, what's a basal body temperature? Oh, don't no. say that. Don't tell me that. So just because your doctor doesn't believe you or thinks you're being dramatic or, or thinks you're getting your information from crazy people with a podcast on the internet, you're, trust me, it's real. You can go to factsaboutfertility.org, which is a medical place where this is what they do. Um, it's a, a series of doctors. You can find someone who will help you. It helps to go to someone who knows a Creighton at the very least. A NAPRO, N-A-P-R-O, doctors tend to be familiar with this. Um, They tend to know, but they probably will help you. You deserve better. You deserve Mm -hmm. to be healthy. You don't deserve crazy difficult bleeding or crazy cramps. You don't deserve to be in pain every single time you're on your period. So Mm -hmm. please, please get help for yourself and take charting seriously. You don't have to jump in all at once. I'm a nerd and I was already involved in sexual ethics. So I started charting just because I thought it was interesting and I wanted to know what it was about. And it turned into me gradually adding new signs as I learned about them. So don't feel like it has to happen at one Mm -hmm. time, but you deserve for it to happen. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to, can I have one more last little bit? Uh, this is how it all is. This is the last, last little bit. Your last, last little bit. <laughs> I do want to say two things, just piggybacking off of what you said. Number one, um, I, I have a heart for doctors. I'm married to one. So I do want to say this, that a lot of times they want to please, they want, they want what's best for their patients and they want to please them in the sense of they want them to come back and they want them to, to build trust and all of those things. And they are often taught like birth control works as a band-aid, but it's going to, it's going to fix the problem that your patient has. So do it. Like just do it because they don't have the full spectrum of either the, the, the ethic or even, even a lot of the information um, because that's might not be what they're specializing in, you know? And right. so I, I want to, I don't want to give doctors a break on this, but I do want to say like, oftentimes we're happy with the first thing our doctor says yeah. as patients. And we really need to be better advocates for ourselves and not presume that they're always considering the whole person in terms of what might be my, my personal, um, theology, what might be my right. religion, what might be my, the things that are important to me, you know, and they're, they're not considering all of that. You've brought them a problem and they know how to fix the problem today right. with a pill. Right. And if that's not okay with you, then you need to be your own advocate and not just take what a doctor gives you and say, well, I mean, my doctor said I had to. Yeah. 
because your doctor wants you to be happy with the care that they gave you. Right. right. Um, so I would just say that on, on the fr- on the front end. And there was another one. Oh, you said something to the effect of um, NFP does not involve uh, hormones or medications. Not always. I know not what you inherently. meant. Yeah. Right. And I know what you meant. But I do want to say this. If you do have a medical problem that requires you to have um, sometimes it's called like hormonal pushes where you are yep. put on an artificial hormone for a short duration in order to fix an actual problem that could be fixed by that hormone, not just to mask it long term. Right. right. A, a NAPRO doctor or a doctor that works with the Pope Paul VI Institute might actually do that. So Which don't is think good and fine. Yes, and don't think you're ever eschewing Western medicine. Like this isn't like <laughs> rub an essential oil on it and you'll be fine. Like that's not what we're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Like th- this is yeah. this is an embracing this is embracing holistic medicine in the truest sense of holistic medicine. Like you you will be given a medication if your condition indicates it's necessary. If you are right. you know pursuing. A, a truly um, fertility awareness um, endeavor here. Um, so don't be scared of the medicine, right. but also don't accept again that if someone puts you on the pill, that's the answer. Yeah, that's consider just what asking, I wanted to say. Consider asking what the medicine <laughs> actually does. Yeah, and, and what is and what should I expect it to do long term? Am I going to have to be on this medicine forever and ever and ever and ever? Because that might not be what I want. But it, is there a, is there a short term expectation that if I go on this hormonal push or you know this short term therapy for a definite amount of time that at the end of this I will see a result that is reasonable? Right. Be your own advocate, ladies. You're smart. Be your enough. own advocate. You deserve it. Yeah, you do. All right. Let's leave it. Let's leave it at be your own advocate. I like that. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. I've learned yes. a lot from you two gurus. Oh, Thanks for joining us for We're going to do it again. Hey, my pleasure. Yes. I would love to talk more about, about sexual ethics and women's health. We just skimmed the surface. That's true. That's true. All right. Bye, y'all. Have a good day. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium, the conversation for online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful.